You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. Please stand with me as we stand on the solid rock of God's Word. We are in Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 12 and read down to verse 18, about halfway through verse 18. Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I'll just mention here, that can also be translated in Christ. My imprisonment is in Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. For Paul, the gospel was front and center. He wanted to make sure that Christ, that the gospel of Jesus was proclaimed above all else. And may that be so for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this passage of scripture and how it reminds us that Lord, there are many different people in a church. There are different many uh, leaders in churches. But ultimately, God, help us to make sure that your gospel is what marks us, what drives us, what fills us, that Jesus, you are our all in all. And so God, aiming in that direction, help us to find that. Help us to be in Christ even more as we walk out of this room here today. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, it's been many years ago now, I had the honor and the privilege and the headache of leading a church into a relocation program. And we had been in one location for, I don't know, 100 years, I think, right at it. And it was time to move to the other side of town. So we put everybody together and started all the process of doing a big project like that. And the property we had bought, DeSoto, some of you maybe have been there. I know a couple of you have been there. It is a city of many hills. And so anytime you build a building of any size, you're going to have to move a bunch of earth. Now, this is going to come as a shock to some of you, but I don't know much about heavy machinery. Shocking, right? Uh, most pastors, I guess, might maybe know, doubt it, but nonetheless, nonetheless, I didn't know anything about it. And it just so happened, there were three guys I knew in our community that worked heavy equipment. They had the bulldozers and the track hose and all those things that you need to knock down trees. And by, by the way, one guy let me drive one of those track hose one day and I about flipped it over. 
So that's how good I am with heavy equipment. But anyway, I talked to all three of these guys because the project was pretty complicated. It wasn't just a a run-of-the-mill kind of deal. We had to move a lot of gravel, a lot of earth to get the site prepared. In fact, I think a quarter of our building cost was just in getting the site prepared. Big deal, big deal. So what didn't surprise me was that when I talked to all three of these these heavy equipment operators, that they all had a different idea on how to do it. Imagine that. All three of them had different ways, different methodologies. Now, that didn't surprise me, but what did surprise me a little bit is that in turn, and I met with all three of these guys like over over a period of about three or four weeks, Every single one of these guys, when we got to the end of the discussion, said, hey, I know you're talking to so-and-so and so-and-so, and and they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) And it was funny, when I heard it the first time, I was like, well, you know. And then the second time, I was like, whoa, you know. And then the third time, I was like, wow. These guys either don't like each other or they just think that they're idiots. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But as I got to thinking about that, that's not all that different from how a lot of people treat church and ministry. In fact, when you start talking to different churches and their pastors, the more successful those churches have been, many times they will tell you that their method works, that what they do is better than what anybody else does. And so we begin to believe that there is a method or a way that's better than all the others. And preachers can be bad sometimes and think that there's only their way. And as I've thought about this and I look at this passage of Scripture and as I hope to show you in the text, Paul is a leader in the early church. There's no doubt about that. In fact, in Rome, he would have been maybe the primary leader, he and Peter, uh, depending on the time period here. But the point is, there were other voices in the church in that day, and they all didn't get along. And you feel that tension in the text, where it's talking about rivalries, where it's talking about envy, when it's talking about all these kind of negative ideas like pretense, which we'll talk about here in a moment. They were not all getting along. But if you look closely at what Paul is telling us, he is telling us that even those who are disagreeing with him in methodology, even some of them maybe don't like him at all, he only wants to see the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed. There is a lesson for us here as individuals, as a church, as an association of churches here in Greene County, as an association of churches in the state and in the Southern Baptist Convention, we need one another. And we're going to talk about that some today. Because when the gospel is front and center, then we are able to cooperate and we're not so worried about which way we go. Now, Paul, his remarks here, he is obviously in prison. We'll be talking a lot about that. And that was causing some controversy in the church. I think it's kind of funny. If you look at verse 14, he speaks of, and most of the brothers. That's just a way of saying Not everybody likes me. Not everybody thinks that my imprisonment is a good idea or a good thing. If you see there, that is a really clever way of saying to his opponents in the church that he knows that they don't agree with him. And he is very clear about some things. He does worry a little bit about motives because motives matter. But ultimately, the gospel had to be front and center. So let me say this to you. And I want this to mull around in your mind for just a moment. And it's this statement. The church can grow on selfish ambition, but it cannot thrive. And what I mean by that is, is that 
it is possible to employ human methodologies to make a, a crowd come or to make a church big, but in so doing, we're not necessarily uh, doing kingdom work. Ultimately, church, when we keep the gospel front and center, when we have Jesus, when we are proclaiming him as crucified, dead, and buried, and risen again, when the gospel is center, front and center, then we are building the kingdom. And we don't have to worry about selfish ambition. We don't have to worry about whether the preacher is doing the right methodology or incorporating the right methodology. No, we just want the gospel. And Ridgecrest, I want you to hear my heart. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the way. It is my passion to preach it to you, to allow the Word of God to shape and form you, to conform you to the image of Christ so that you can be more like Jesus day by day by day. Sounds like a tall order, but it's possible when we let the Word teach us and guide us and Paul would like to do that this morning, I believe, for all of us. So let's begin with an uncomfortable question. And the question is, are we too comfortable to advance the gospel? You know, when we think about productivity and efficiency, when we talk about methods and what we can do to make the church a better place, we often use the language of business. And that's not all bad. We need to look around and see if there are ways that we can do things better. But what if the best way... For you to be a productive and efficient Christian is to go to jail. Let me just ask you that. What if going to jail would be option one, the best option for you? Now, Paul says to his friends in Philippi, I want you to know, verse 12, take a look at it with me. I want you to know, brothers, that what happened to me has really, and you might want to underline that word, it has really, believe it or not, served to advance the gospel. And if you're following along, I know when we're preaching like this, we have to break it up. But what he's talking about, his, his circumstance here, we were told in uh, verse 7, is that he's in jail. And he mentions it three more times in our text. Take a look, verse 13, verse 16, and verse 17. So here in the first 18 verses, we have no less than four occurrences of Paul saying, by the way, I'm in jail. Now, this genuine hardship had become a gargantuan opportunity. And I believe when we have the gospel front and center, then even genuine hardships can become gargantuan opportunities. If you take a look at the text again with me, let's look at it a little more closely. Look at that word really, okay? That, that adverb, when anybody says really, 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 they're trying to get your attention. Uh, in writing, that's not a good thing. Don't use really that much. I'm always telling people adverbs are bad like that, okay? So if you're writing, don't do that. But here, Paul wants you to get this in your mind. Believe it or not, him being imprisoned in Rome was the best thing for the gospel, and he celebrated it. Look at that word advanced. Do you see that word? That word advanced means literally a cutting forward. So just imagine a sharp knife or maybe a, a ship with a very sharp point at the end that's able to cut through the water and get to the place where it needs to go more quickly. Efficiency is 
in play here. We see a word of efficiency, that God is doing something amazing. This is another way of saying God is at work. And here's how he is at work. He has been put in jail, but not in just any old jail. He's in a jail right in the middle of Rome, and his guards are the imperial guards, which sounds a lot like Star Wars, but it's not. It is the Praetorium Guard, so it sounds a little bit more like maybe Gladiator, okay? But nonetheless, these are the shock troops. These are the best of the best. These are the the, the special forces of Rome, and their job was to not only guard Caesar, but also the senators and the other most important people in Rome. So these men would have come from the most well-known families, the richest families. They would have had the most connections. They would have spent the most time with the movers and shakers of the number one empire in the world at the time. And here's the deal. We know a little bit about Roman prisons, and we know that Paul would have been chained to a new soldier every six hours. Talk about evangelism coming to you. Every six hours, he had another chance to pour the gospel into a soldier who would be an influential person in Rome, and eventually many of those men would have been sent out to far-flung places like Great Britain, because in those days that was the edge of the world. And they would go to North Africa, and they would go to the Middle East, and even further beyond. Look at what God is doing. Paul says, do you believe it? The gospel is not only here in Rome, but it is cutting a path to every single place in the world. Those Roman roads took more than commerce. They took Christ. And you see, Paul saw that and he was able to celebrate. He was able to celebrate what God was doing in his life in an old Roman prison. Where some saw suffering, Paul saw opportunity. Paul was put in chains for his Christian witness. So why not witness while in chains? Instead of doing what many prisoners do, which is to make a case for their freedom, because by the way, Everybody in jail um, has been, you know, put there by mistake. At least that's what many of them would say if you talk to them. Paul's not making a case for his freedom. Paul chose to make a case for Christ. And I believe that today, you, I doubt many of you are, are, you know, worrying about going to jail this afternoon. I hope you're not. But, but, but here's the deal. I think many of us are so self-conscious. We're always worried about how people perceive us. We're, we're approaching our witnessing and our relationships with fear. And therefore, that is keeping us from being a good witness. And many times we try to get defensive and we make a case for ourselves. Paul is showing us that what we need to do instead is always look for a way to make a case for Christ. And we need to understand that Paul, in prison, he was bound with chains as a criminal, as he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.9. But he says, the word of God is not bound. And I'll tell you this. You may be going through a difficult time in your life. You may be grieving, but the word of God is not bound. You may be suffering from from an illness or a family member is, but I want to tell you the word of God is not bound. You may be experiencing uh, trouble at work or a loss of a job, but I'm telling you 
the gospel, the word of God is not bound. Too many of us are forgetting our calling. We're forgetting that even in our suffering, we can be a great witness for Jesus. Listen, Jesus came to this earth and he suffered on a cross. He didn't go to the couch, he went to the cross. And we need to understand that God has called us to do the same. So when you're looking at this text, you see verse 13, I told you, he's, he's in prison not just for Christ. In other words, suffering for on behalf of Christ. But I think he's telling us that he's literally growing closer to Christ. He is more in Christ in prison. He is more in Christ. He's growing closer to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons why many of us are not growing closer to Jesus is because we are constantly seeking the path of comfort instead of the way of the cross. Paul was a powerful man of God because he did not shy away from suffering for his Savior, and we must do the same. It's almost as though Paul, to use an idea here from the Far East, he was practicing spiritual jujitsu. Yeah, I said that. So what I mean by that is, it's like the devil was throwing all these terrible things at him, and jujitsu is basically the art Uh, of being able to take the energy and motions of the other and using them against them, right? So the opponent, you use their energy. I like the sound of that, right? Uh, It's a lazy man's way of fighting, maybe. I don't know. But it's, it's a powerful force. You are balanced and you have the person off balance. I think that's what he's doing here. Paul is taking everything the enemy can throw at him and he's using it for the glory of God. And I'm challenging you to do the same. It's so funny when you're reading this text. Again, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, just, I want you to hear excitement. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, in some of my research, I found an ancient manuscript. I'm thinking this might be the oldest manuscript we have of the book of Philippians. I want you to take a close look at it. And and as I was perusing through it, I noticed one thing kind of out of place here. If we can throw that up. It's kind of small, but it's a winky eye emoji. And who knew that Paul, you know, spoke fluent emoji? But I really feel like when I'm reading verse 12, he's, he's like winking his eye. He's like, look, the devil has thrown me in prison. The Romans think they've got me right where they want me. And he winks the eye and says, but the gospel is really making inroads. It is cutting through the darkness. The light is shining. Can you believe it, church, that God would use me, but he would even use me in prison? That's an awesome God who can do awesome things. And I believe that awesome God wants to do awesome things in this room through you. Couple questions here. Are you tough enough to be in a hard place if that helps more people make it to heaven? Are you tough enough? Are you strong enough? Are you diligent enough in your faith to be in the hard place if that's where God would have you be the greatest witness? What are your dreams? Do you seek comfort or do you want God to use you in a mighty way? I don't believe 
we can have both. We cannot have ultimate comfort and have an ultimate witness. We're going to have to sacrifice the comfort for the witness, and it's worth it. And Paul would say, it is worth it to to live is Christ, to die is gain. We're going to hear. And I believe that he would say to us, even if you have to suffer and spend time in an old jail, it's okay if that is what takes the gospel forward. Only those who have the gospel front and center will suffer and give away their comforts for Christ. The second question, the second point for us is this. Who's in the driver's seat? You or Jesus? I was saying to the first service, you know, I went early this morning. We always come in and do our sound checks and everything. And I told the guys, I told Rich and Kelly in particular, I said, uh, I think I'm going to debut my singing voice today. And of course, you know, you want to see two music guys get scared. There you go. Uh, they were pretty, pretty scared. And um, I said, you know, I think I, I want you guys to accompany me in the old song, Jesus Take the Wheel. And, uh, and uh, it just didn't go anywhere. They wouldn't do it for me. So uh, some of you uh, unfortunately remember that song. But um, the, the idea of Jesus being in control, he steering our lives. I want you to get that image in your mind because the real question is, is it true? When I was a little boy, we used to talk about, I remember in a Baptist church, we were trying to get salvation clear, right? And we understood that salvation saved us from our sins so that we could go to heaven, but we would always talk about lordship, right? Do, you, do some of you remember those conversations where a preacher or a teacher says, listen, it's, it's good to know that Jesus loves you and wants to save you from your sins so you can go to heaven, but, but when you believe that, then he becomes the manager, the boss, the, the leader of your life. He would, in essence, then take the steering wheel, and then he begins to drive you not where you want to go, but where he would have you go. When you look at verses 15 and following, he is really asking the Philippian Christians to consider what's driving their ministry. There are many motivations. Verse 15 shows us for preaching Christ. Look at verses 17 through 18. We read these words about envy or rivalry. These are obviously not good reasons to uh, preach the gospel. Those are, are negatives. Notice such motivations flow from selfish ambitions that are due to pretense. That word pretense just means false reasoning or false assumptions. So clearly, not everybody who's in the church, not everybody who's in the pulpit or in a Sunday school class or whatever it may be, as a deacon or an elder, whatever it may be, not everybody's motives are right where they need to be. We need to constantly, and I mean constantly, not one time in your life, but maybe if you are a leader of any group at all, if you have any responsibilities in the church, brother, sister, every day, you better ask the question, who is steering this ship? Because if it is not Jesus, you are heading for a shipwreck. There's no doubt about it. We have to let Jesus be in control. And the language here is very serious. And the passage hints that what happened to Paul was a work of God, that he was put there for the defense of the gospel, verse 16. 
Paul clearly only cares that the gospel is front and center, that it is being proclaimed, um, and that's his desire. But some people don't have that feeling. Look at verse 17, the last part. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me and my imprisonment. So some of these individuals are not just doing things differently, but there's a hint here that they're even adversarial towards Paul. In other words, they're not just saying, I would do it different. They're saying Paul's doing it wrong. So that's not okay because Paul is not doing it wrong. He might be doing it different because he's in prison, but he's not doing it wrong. And these brothers are uh, casting doubt on his calling, and that's not okay. We need to realize that it's important for us to have our arms open wide. Now, theologically, we, we only partner with people of like faith. But believe you me, it is a dangerous place to be to think that you're the only one that's figured it out. We need to understand that the only safety we have is when Jesus is in complete control of everything. Now, I want to say this. It's important. Paul's not getting on to these individuals. You would maybe read in here that maybe they were ambitious, kind of like selfish in, in, in a way that maybe the prosperity gospel would, would maybe have us thinking today that, that somehow if, if somebody is successful in ministry that that automatically means that they are selfish or envious or doing something wrong. Not at all. In fact, let me just po point this out. In 2 Corinthians 8.18, Paul speaks of a brother who is a great and well-known preacher, a famous preacher. So there's nothing wrong when we acknowledge the great giftedness of some of the preachers and teachers in our time. Wow, today we can connect um, online. If, 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 you know, you go home on a Sunday afternoon and say, Jeremy, really just, you know, bomb that one, you can go hear somebody who knows how to preach, you know? There's all kinds of options, and that's good. We are thankful for that, but we want to know this, that it is easy for people to lose their way. Paul is talking to some leaders and some people in the church who, because they have not put the gospel front and center, they have lost their way. And when you lose your way in this way, you don't even know it. You assume that what your opinion is and what your thoughts are, are co-equal and the same as God's. Listen, only God's word can steer us in the right direction here. You don't need my words, you need the word of God. And let me just say this, as long as sinners sit in the pews and stand in pulpits, churches will have problems. I mean, there's no way around that, but we can trust in the Lord and we can make sure that we are not concerned ultimately about how big the church is, but we are concerned about bringing glory to our God. When the gospel is front and center, we don't worry about those who would say things about us, say, well, that church does this and does that, and I don't like this and I don't like that. It's so easy. I fall into that trap myself all the time to just assume that, that I know and they don't. Listen, it's not okay. We have to work together. I love this church. For three years, it's been such a blessing to me and to my family. But I'll tell you, it's an imperfect church that got a lot more imperfect when I became her pastor. 
We are people with problems, and we need a perfect Jesus. We need a deeper walk with Jesus. We need to walk away from our sins and make sure that we are more and more in Christ. I ask you again, does Jesus truly have control of your life? Is he steering you in the right direction? T.S. Eliot a contemporary and friend of C.S. Lewis and, and Tolkien and some others, uh, some great, great thinkers in Britain back uh, near 100 years ago now. It's been a long time ago. He said this, the greatest treason is to do the right deed for the wrong reason. And I think that's the challenge in the church today that we do things that are quote-unquote ministry, but they're not with the gospel front and center. The Lord has to break our hearts. We have to begin to look outside of ourselves for where God is working and to be willing to sacrifice and to give. I had an experience a, a couple months ago and it was, it was precious and it culminated last night. And I want to share this with you very quickly. I, I believe that God is calling Ridgecrest when I talked a few weeks ago about us helping those who are the most vulnerable, whether we're talking about orphans and widows, adopting and fostering. I also talked about planting churches and being involved in strengthening churches, those kinds of things. It was about that time um, I had a visit to my office and a pastor of, of a local church here, a Hispanic church, he wanted to tell me about their 20th anniversary and wanted to invite me as a representative of Ridgecrest to come and celebrate their 20 years. Uh, they lovingly call their church the casa, the house, the home. And so my wife and I went last night. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was, it was kind of interesting. Uh, so, so don't make an appointment with Rosetta to come see me because I don't always do this. But, but after listening and talking to these precious people and hearing their vision for planting churches here in southwest Missouri to reach Hispanics, uh, to reach Spanish-speaking people, and to plant churches over in eastern Illinois on the other side of the bridge across from St. Louis, an area that has a large population but not a lot of churches, I'm going to tell you my heart began to burn inside. And I said, this church is worthy of... Of, of support and Ridgecrest, though we helped them get established 20 years ago, I think God is calling us to just give them another little shot in the arm, a boost. And so as I was listening to them, they said, okay, our, our 20th anniversary, we want to finish with a call to our church to eliminate our debt. And so I asked what it was. He said 140. Well, I looked last night, it was, it's 144,000 to be exact. And so they began a process, a giving tree kind of process to, to uh, eliminate that debt. Well, I'm going to tell you, as soon as the Lord uh, uh, began to talk to me, as they were in the office, I felt like that God was calling us to do something. So I talked with the elders right away, and I said, you know, God has been good to us in the first quarter of the year. We've, we've had uh, some surplus, and, and you know, that's a, that's a blessing from God, but I don't believe that that surplus is just for us. I think God is calling us to, to tithe on that and then some, and maybe, maybe who knows what else God would have us do. And so when I shared the vision, when I shared with them what God was doing in my heart, uh, they agreed. And so last night, uh, not only did I get this, let me just show you how cool it is because it, it even lights up. Look at that. <laughs> Those of you who've been in my office, you'll know that matches my decor. Perfect. So I am. Um, but listen, this was so touching and, and, and it was so sweet. And so they gave me this, please turn off, please turn off, please turn off. It turned off. All right. 
And so I was able to hand them, because of your generosity, a check for $10,000 to start their program to eliminate debt. Now, I want to tell you something. Today, in our day and age, there are a lot of people telling us that maybe we just need to, you know, kind of pull away from, from associational life and state NBC life, Missouri Baptist Convention and the SBC, especially the SBC because it's crazy uh, over there. It's, it's, it's a lot of things have happened, all these uh, scandals, I guess you would say, they, the president and all that. Now, now you're going to go look it up. It's a, it's, a, it's a long story. It's crazy. And a lot of people, though, have been taking that and saying, we don't need to cooperate anymore. And I want to tell you, I think because of the chaos in the world today, we need to cooperate with one another and other churches and sister churches like never before. We need to be a church that has Jesus in charge and in control where we're not worried about all those individuals out there and whether or not they agree with us on everything. Listen, in your family, you probably have a crazy uncle or two. Well, let me tell you, in the Southern Baptist Convention, we got a thousand or more, but it's okay. It's okay because we have a plan to reach the world for Jesus. We are better together than we are by ourselves. We can change the world, but we have to make sure that the gospel is front and center. You will never cooperate with others if you don't have the gospel front and center because when the gospel isn't front and center, then you're trying to put something else front and center, and that is not okay. And so again, I say, Jesus, take the wheel. Control our lives, our church, our destiny. Move us in the right direction. Finally, and in conclusion, as we talk about the gospel front and center, we need to ask if we are willing to suffer for Jesus, if we are willing to put him in the driver's seat, if we are ready to have a complete change of our hearts if necessary. We want our church to be advancing, not retreating. We want to cut through the darkness with gospel light. So here's a couple things to consider. When Jesus is Lord of the church and the gospel is front and center, the church is bold in her witness. Look at verse 14. So clear that Paul has boldness, but so do those who see his example. His example is causing more boldness for his disciples to speak out and to preach the word without fear. If we, dear church, those of you who are serious enough to come and worship here and minister here and serve here, the more bold we are, the more bold our disciples will be also. Let's make a commitment to be bold for Jesus. The world doesn't understand that. Jim Elliott, his story is powerful. He was a brilliant man. Reading his diaries, are, it's, just, it's, it's quite an experience. When you read it as a pastor, you think, this guy's, this guy's a better preacher than me, a better pastor than me, smarter. He, he just had the spirit in so many ways at work in him. He went to a hard place. He gave his life on the mission filled for Jesus. And many people said, oh, look at that. It was a, it was a sad thing. He, little children that, that were left without a father. It is a tragic story. But if you read the rest of the story, God raised up a generation and then another generation of missionaries that went all around the world because one man was faithful. One man was willing to go to a hard place, willing to pick up a cross. We must be bold in our witness. Secondly, when Jesus is Lord of the church and the gospel is front and center, the church will build up goodwill. Now, this is what I mean by how can we partner with churches around us? We don't need 
to reinvent the wheel. There are some great churches and some great church plants. There are some individuals here in the state of Missouri that are doing work. We just, we don't need any accolades. I almost didn't want to tell you about the gift we gave to the church. It's not to brag. I'm just trying to show you I'm serious about partnering with brothers and sisters in Christ. I want us to be generous and giving in every way we can, not so that our name is great, but so the gospel can advance. We want to look for every opportunity. We want to be known, not as a church that says, what can we do? Can we make things better for ourselves? No, we want to give and give and give and go and go and go into the nations, out into the world. Listen, the world is a messed up place. There's darkness. There are wars and rumors of wars. The world needs Jesus. They need you. You with the gospel front and center. When Jesus is the Lord of the church, and the gospel is front and center, it's worship and ministry, our love and joy driven. Oh, friends, we need to be able to come to church even with sad hearts and find love and joy here. We need to be willing to worship our way out of sadness, worship our way out of darkness and into the light. This is not time wasted. This is time to be maximized for the kingdom of God. Oh, we serve a God who takes negatives and turns them into positives. Spiritual jujitsu, well, that's just what God gives us the ability to do when we love him, when the gospel is front and center. And I challenge you, church, wherever you are, dear brother, dear sister, wherever you are right now with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to, to just consider for a moment, are you too comfortable to make a difference? And secondly, does Jesus really, really have lordship over your life? Is he driving you? Or is it your selfish ambitions? I mean, what's making you tick right now? What what are you excited about? Ah, the gospel. There's a lot of things to be happy in life about and excited about. But make sure the proclamation of the gospel is the most important thing in your life. The gospel must be front and center. And if it is not, this altar, this altar call is for you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.